Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength <clears throat> and how you can be tied up and subdued. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. <clears throat> so he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair, and so began to subdue him. And his strength left him. Then she called Samson to the Philistine. The Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free but he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. When someone gets to the end of their life, particularly a man, they want to know that they have lived a good life, that they've ended life well. Samson ended his life very badly. Why? Why? Because he took his eyes off of four very important gauges, spiritual gauges, and he ended his life very badly. So the man says, tell me I've been successful. Tell me I've lived a good life. What moves men to tears? What moves a man's heart to tears? What is it? I've been to a good number of funerals in my life. And I have yet to see at a funeral somebody stand up and talk about a man that's died and say something like, he made so much money. And people just weeping. Oh, he made so much money. He accomplished so much. Oh, yeah. Or Samson, he slept with so many women. Oh, I can't believe he slept with you. It's awesome. I haven't seen it. Here's what I have seen. This straight up what I've seen. Men are moved by honor. Men are moved by character. Men are moved by integrity and respect. I was listening to the radio station a number of years ago. Um, the day that John Wooden died. John Wooden, the greatest college basketball coach to ever coach the game. And I paid particular note of what was being said by man after man after man that called in to the radio show. Emotional. Voices were cracking. There was obviously tears going on on the other end of the line. A lot of intensity there. 
Digger Phelps, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, John Feinstein. They all talked about wooden, and they were broken. You know what they said? They didn't say... They didn't get emotional. They didn't, their hearts didn't move. They didn't start crying when they said he won 10 national titles. They, 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 they mentioned that, yes. But you know when they started crying? A man of character. man of integrity. Jerry West, the great Jerry West, said, John Wooden is a giant of a man. Men don't get moved when they die because of all the women they've slept with or all the money they've made or all their accomplishments. What moves a man's heart, like on that screen, is tell me I'm a good man. Tell me I've been successful in the things that matter most. Honor, character, integrity. That's what moves a man's heart. John Wooden, if you know much about him, believed that spiritual development was vital. Spiritual. His father told him when he was young. And John Wooden says had a major impact and changed the course of his life. Told him to drink deeply from many books, but especially drink deeply from the Bible. Spiritual development was, a part, was an important part of his life. Here's what I want you to remember. All success begins with spiritual success. All success in life begins with spiritual success. Four gauges. We covered two last week. We'll cover two more today. Four gauges. First gauge, number one most important gauge is God's word. God's word. We have to stay focused. It's the number one catalyst to spiritual growth. Second gauge we talked about last week was God's people. Samson didn't have any people. He was a loner. He was always alone. He had no accountability. He allowed his eyes to run wild. And what happened when his eyes ran wild? Well, we just read it here at the end. His eyes got gouged out. You'll either sacrifice to God early in life or it'll be sacrificed for you later in life. God's word, God's people. Here's the two that we would like to cover today. Number three is God's work. God's work. If you want to write that in on the back of your bulletin, God's work. Very important gauge to keep your eye on. God's work. Before Samson was ever even born, you know that God gave him a job? He gave him a job. He says, Samson, Judges 13, tells the parents, here's Samson's job. He's going to be a leader. He's going to be a deliverer, and he's got to be a great one. He's got a big job to do. I'm giving it, like before he's even come out of the womb, I want him to know that I'm giving this guy a job, a job. And he's not to do this with mediocrity. He's to do it in excellence. Let's consider Adam for a second. Let's go all the way back to the beginning, Genesis chapter 2, something very interesting. So we've known Adam all of five seconds in the text, all of five seconds. And here's what it says in Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to what? To work it, to work the garden. We've known him for five seconds and already God has given him a job to do. Having a job is important. Wait, have this crazy, it's crazy how people think about heaven. They think about paradise, think, oh my goodness, we're just going to sit around on clouds all the time. Well, look, if paradise, when everything was right, if God, the first thing he did was give Adam a job to do, what do you think is going to happen when we all reach paradise because of Jesus Christ? What's going to happen? We're going to have a job to do. We're going to sit around on clouds and sing to each other and hold hands and kumbaya all day long. It's not what's going to go on. You know, I was just listening the other, just this past week about our universe Science tells us now that the universe they think is infinitely expanding. It's never going to fall back on itself. That's what the latest science is telling us. It's expanding. It's really big right now, but it's getting bigger all the time. Well, for those of us who are really good at designing things, 
like maybe designing a planet or something or managing a planet, or you want to be the king of your own planet, right? There's a job for you. God has a job for you to do. And there in the Garden of Eden, in paradise, God gives Adam a job. So I'd like you to write that one down. It's really important. God has a job for you. I was thinking just in like 15 seconds this past week, what could I think as I think through the Bible of all the people who had jobs? Adam had a job that God gave a job. Adam, God gave Adam a job. Noah, God gave Noah a job. Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Miriam, Samson, David, Mary, the disciples all had jobs. You, God has given you a job. God is giving me a job. God has a job for us. Samson dies badly. Why? Why does he die so badly? Because he's a baby. He's a baby. He's a little baby. He's an immature baby is why he dies so badly. And you say, hey, John, how can you say about that, about that big, strong man? Now, you read his story and like he's fighting a thousand men at one time or he's ripping the gates off a city and taking them to the top. of He's doing all these incredible, strong things. How could this guy be a baby? You know why? Because babies don't work. We love babies. I love babies. Babies are awesome. But I don't expect a baby to work. You read through Samson's story. You read through those four chapters. He's never taken up God's. God says, here's your job. He never takes the job. He doesn't do anything about it. He's never working because babies don't work. Do you think it's any coincidence that Joe just read just a few moments ago from, from Samson's story that Delilah, before he gets his eyes gouged out, what did she do to him? Other than the nagging part, okay? Apparently, many thousands of years ago, women had a problem with nagging. Thank goodness that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> never happens anymore. I know it's so foreign to us. But after, besides the nagging, what did she do to him? It's not a coincidence that it's in there. She put him to sleep on her lap. What does that sound like? That sounds like a baby. That sounds like a baby. That's why the text is telling us, because Samson's a baby. He's immature. And babies and immature people don't work. Now, listen, when you see somebody in their late teens or their 20s or their 30s or something like that, and they're sitting around and they don't, have a, they don't have a job, you say, it's time to grow up and get a job. Right, we, that's just natural. You know what that's natural in the Bible too? The Bible talks about the same thing. It's laced all over the place through the Bible, particularly 1 Corinthians. It's time to grow up and get a job because spiritually mature people always have jobs. Spiritually immature people like Samson never have jobs. They never go to work. But the spiritually mature always go to work. This is what you see in the Bible. A person who is mature and growing in God, in Christ, is going to find that job that they're supposed to do. And the spiritually immature is never going to pick up a job. They're just going to come and go and do nothing for God. Do nothing for God. I want to take a look at a story about a guy, King David, who worked for God since he was a youth and who was surrounded by really good advisors since he was a young man, fighter, warrior, an incredible guy. But there was a time in his life when he gave up his job for God and he didn't surround himself with people and what happened to him. Let's read the story. It is in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 11. This is what it says. It happened, note everything here is very important that I'm gonna read. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab. Joab is his general underneath of him. And his servants with him and all Israel 
and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and he took her. Sent messengers and he took her. David quit his job. He was bored with the work of the Lord that he was clearly called to do since he was a young man and he had never given it up. He didn't just need a break. This is not David saying, you know what, I fought a lot of battles, I need to take a vacation. There's nothing wrong with the vacation. The Bible's all for vacation. The Bible's all for taking a break. No, what's going on here is, is David had 20 years of his success. This King David guy, all right, highly competent, highly skilled, highly, highly skilled, highly successful competent person for 20 years straight and what actually is going on here is david has gotten to the point that he's just too good for god he's become arrogant instead of going out and doing the job himself that he was supposed to do he said i just send somebody else you know it's just another battle it's, it's just another battle now, i was reading over jim collins book some of you who are really into leadership and business know about jim collins he's kind of like a guru does a lot of research on what his successful organizations do Right? He wrote a book in 2009 called How the Mighty Fall. And he said, and it was a perfect time to look into it, right after the 2008 stock market crash, right? So he looks into it, and he says that they researched it. They found out that companies didn't fail because there was some evil, nasty, wicked person up top. And that's why so many of us lost so much money in the stock market. He said, instead, what they found out is, is that people became very arrogant. They became very arrogant. It's like, ah, Whatever. This is the attitude that David takes. It's a whatever attitude. Send Joab to do it. Ah, doesn't matter. And he doesn't do his job. It's da- everything about this story is screaming, danger, go back. One of the most dangerous things that you'll ever see walking around a church is a highly skilled, highly competent, highly successful man that does not have a job for God. This is David. Highly skilled men. What happens so often in church is a lot of times you have somebody come into church and if they're new to church or they're new to Christ, they get all excited. They're spiritual babies. They're like, man, put me to work. And then they grow up and then they grow out. And they're like, I'm too busy. I'm too important. I'm too successful. I'm too rich. Let somebody else do it. That's the worst thing to get ever had. If you're a man and you're a highly competent man and you want to be successful in life, all success begins with spiritual success. And one of the greatest things that you could ever do is find a job for Jesus Christ within his church and to serve. Because when you don't do that, when you don't do that, you're setting yourself up for spiritual failure. And this is exactly what David encounters here. He fails spiritual success people who are spiritual successes always have a job successful men do that now i want to um want to pause for a second and talk about something that's contained in here but slightly off topic this fall that david has is probably top five one of the most popular 
well-known falls that ever happens. I mean, other than Adam and Eve, it's David and Bathsheba, right? We've, there's been movies done about this and everything. It's a very, very well-known fall that he has. And I want to go into this just a little bit. We're going to go, I want to let you know something. We're going to go much deeper into this area, kind of this whole relationship area, sexuality area come this fall. We're going to do a series in September called It's Complicated. And we're going to dig into the Bible, the book of 1 Corinthians, in a city very similar to Washington, D.C. Powerful city, a lot of money in that city. Um, intelligence, uh, a- academic pursuit was huge in Corinth. And I've said this many, many times, Arlington County is the most educated county in the United States of America. There's so much similarity between Corinth and Washington, D.C., but they dealt with deep divisions, <laughs> just in case you think there's any deep divisions in Washington, D.C. over some issues. So uh, they dealt with deep divisions and frustrations that were going on there, but they also dealt with a lot of sexual issues. And so we will talk about sex and we'll talk about pornography, we'll talk about breaking up, we'll talk about divorce, talk about all these issues. And then we'll talk about one other issue that is dealt that actually we've never really taken time to to deal with here. We'll talk about homosexuality. Look, it used to be years ago that people would uh, call me up and say, hey, John, I'm I'm interested in in coming to church. People I didn't know, whatever, I didn't know who they were. People from all sides, and they call up and say, I want to come to your church, I want to come to Grace or wherever I was. I want to come to the church. But I have one question first. You know, what do you, what do you think about Jesus? I mean, what do you really think about Jesus? And we talk about that. Or they call and say, what do you think about the Bible? You know what? Nobody calls me and asks me that question anymore. Like, nobody. Nobody's interested in Jesus or the Bible. There's only one question that's important, right? There's only one question about this church that's important for somebody who's a newcomer. Call up and say, I'd like to come. But first, I want to know this. What do you think about homosexuality? That is the number one defining issue. Right? It's not in the Bible, just so you know. It's not. It's, it's of very small importance. Very small importance. But it's a huge important thing, and actually Paul deals with it in a very small way in First Corinthians. So we're going to talk about that. And it's going, to be, it's going to be quite messy. And so I just wanted you to know that it's coming. It's complicated. is on its way to us. Now, I, I, I need to point out just a couple things from this. You see the text. I, I think you have it. Yes, you do. All right. You see the text about uh, about David, the Second Samuel text. I want you to circle. Can you circle for me a couple things if you're holding up your bulletin? All right. It says so. David sent. Right. So David saw. Per, circle the portion where it says he saw, and then circle the word where it says he sent. Right. And then finally where he took those three verbs. Saul sent, took. Saul sent, took. Circle those three. Very important. I've seen them for all my life and have talked about them. Commentators have said how very important it is. And here's what grabs me about this, why this is so interesting, and why the Bible continues to me to be so absolutely brilliant. I read a Princeton study that was done not too long ago about men when they look at women in bikinis. Maybe some of you have seen the study. When a man, what happens to a man's brain when he looks at a woman who doesn't have a lot of clothes on? What happens to his brain? And you know what they found out? A man's brain fires off a couple things. There's two things I want to tell you. The first thing, it fires off a couple things. It fires off very strong verbs, like I push, I grab, I take. This was written a couple thousand years ago, everybody. Saul sent took. And our most modern research says when a man sees a woman not clothed a lot, all of a sudden these strong verbs fire off in his brain. And he says, I want to grab, I want to take. The Bible is so brilliant. Let me, let me tell you one other thing. 
They found in this study that a portion of the man's brain that almost never shuts down when he sees a woman without a lot of clothes on shuts down. And that's the portion that thinks about the other person. What is the other person thinking? What is the other person feeling? Well, when you see a woman without a lot of clothes on, that goes away. The brain shuts down, and you, you could care less what they're thinking, feeling. Right? You, know, you know? And you, a woman becomes an object. I think that's really good for all of us to know. It's a recent Princeton study that talks you know, all about this. It may be good for some wives to know that uh, they could shut their husband's brain down and ask for a diamond ring. I guess that could be... All right. All success begins with spiritual success, and the spiritual grown-ups always have a job, and they always have a mission. The question is this. You want to be a success in life? You want to be a, you want to be a spiritual champion, not a spiritual chump? Do you have a job? We have a job center here, right, with all kinds of volunteer opportunities. You have to go after it and get one because everybody, even if you only have 10, 15 minutes a week, every single person who wants to grow spiritually has a job and they do it well, which is my next point. So you got, right, you got God's work and the final piece to this puzzle is God's way. What is God's way of doing things? It's not just about having a job, but it's the way that you do the job. Revelation chapter 3 covers this so well. God says, you're going to church and you're, 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 you're working for me, but you're doing it with such incredible mediocrity. I wish you would just stop doing it. There's such apathy. The, 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 the issue here in the scripture, if we want to grow spiritually... We have to bring some fire to the table for God. And what the issue was with the church of Laodicea is they brought no fires like, ah, it's just church. Like, at my job, I'll give a 10, but at church, I'll give a two. That was the issue going on. So it's the way that you work. We get some insights into Samson. I want to read this portion of his, his life. He had this great battle where he kills a thousand men. Check it out. Judges 15. Then Samson with a donkey's jawbone. Samson says this, right? He writes this little poem. With a donkey's jawbone, I have, circle I have, made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, circle that, I have, killed a thousand men. When he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone, and the place was called Ramaliah. Because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, You have given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Then God opened up the hollow place of Lehi and water came out of this. Isn't that fascinating? God gives him the strength and the power, gives him the job to do. And what you see is he's taken all the credit for. You see the arrogance? I said just a few moments ago, and the Bible talks about this, right? Why do great people fall? They fall because of great arrogance. Jim Collins says, why do great organizations fall? They fall because of great arrogance and what is missing from this piece what we see missing here is he doesn't really give it he doesn't give any praise to god at all he just praises himself and he doesn't make a sacrifice that's also very interesting because in the old testament when somebody has a great victory they make this sacrifice to god because they out of honor god because they highly value god when you highly value somebody and somebody does something nice for you you praise them for it if you could care less about them you just say yeah and you take it and you walk away and this is exactly what samson does because he does not highly value god doesn't highly value God. So there's no praise. There's no sacrifice. He takes all of this for granted. It's like the same old, same old. It's just another victory. It's just another victory for me. God wasn't important at all. I want to tell you in conclusion here about the way that we, that we serve God or the way that we look at God, the way that we do this. It's called the principle of first fruits. And I want to conclude with this. 
Look at Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then, then, what's going to happen if I do this? Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. What is the principle of the first fruits? You see it in a lot of places. I could have put in all kinds of scripture verses here. The principle of first fruits is that you give your excellence to God. That's what the first fruit is. God says, take, take it off the top. Give your best to God. Give excellence to God. And what was happening here to Samson, what was happening to the church of Laodicea, and what began to happen to King David, he says, I'll give my worst to God. Because why? Because it's just God. It's just God. Does it really matter? It's just God. And so he began to fall into this way instead of understanding this principle. Look at Isaiah 1.13. God says this to them, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Can you imagine a pastor standing up in church and say, don't put any money in the offering plate. Stop doing it. Why? Why would we stop doing it? He says, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. God, quit coming to church. God is saying, quit giving offerings, quit coming to church. Why? Because it had no value. There was no excellence to it anymore. There was no first fruit principle at all in what they were doing. I'm going to talk about money, money for just a second, so everybody be calm. All right. Grab your wallet and hang on to it tightly. We hardly ever talk about money around here. But there's this principle that we just read in Proverbs about first fruits. Off the top. I didn't, I grew up in church all my life. I never heard it till many years ago. I was a young man and somebody finally introduced me. And I said, oh, well, I want to get some of that. So the principle is this, the first fruits to God. We call it a tithe. And I know we got, there's a lot of opinions for you Bible thumpers. You know about the tithe. And we're all over the place on the tithe. But there's a principle at work, and I totally believe in it. So you can send me an email, but I probably won't respond to it. All right? <laughs> there's a principle. I've just seen it work. I see it at work in the scriptures, and I've seen it work in my life. I've seen it at work in my life for 25 years, and nobody ever showed me this. And I went through Bible college, and nobody ever showed me this, and it really upset me because I was missing out a massive blessing. And this is the reason I'm telling you what I'm telling you right now because this is about spiritual success. This is not about Grace Community Church's budget. Trust me, and I've said this before, if, you, if you're concerned that I'm just trying to drum up offerings for the church, then give it to another church. I don't care. Because what I want you to hear is this. We want to talk about spiritual success and how you can spiritually thrive. And here's the thing. The principle of first fruits is that you give 10% off the top to God. 10% off the top. Now, listen, here's the thing that I learned way back all those years ago. There's only one place in all the Bible that God says we can test him. You read it all over the Bible. It says, don't you ever test me. Right? Don't you ever test me, boy. Right? Don't you ever do that. That's what God says. Don't ever test me. He says, trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me. Except in Malachi chapter 3, God says, go ahead and test me. Now, what's that about? You can test me in one area, and that's the area of money. Why? We are very emotional about money. Like right now, some of you have been sleeping this entire time. You didn't even wake up when I talk about sex or homosexuality. But I mentioned money, and you're wide awake. Right? Okay. So... God says, you can test me. I'll give you one area that you can test me, and you can test me in this area. It's over money. And if you give 10% off the top, I'll open the windows of heaven. And this isn't like playing the lottery, like God's going to pour out cash on you. But what's actually going to happen, what I see in Malachi chapter 3, is God's going to pour out blessings on us, like spiritual blessings, things that are even greater than money. Although God, many, many times in my life, has helped me in unusual ways financially because of this principle of first fruits. And I just want you to know that. And I want you to know that's very, very important. You know, I have a lot of people, and I'm, let me say this, because some of you are saying, why is he making eye contact with me right now and you're nervous? 
I have a lot of people, you know, come to me and say, hey, you know, I, I don't make a lot of money, so, you know, I can't give. And so what, you, what they should know, what they should know, and what you should know is I have no idea what anybody gives in this church, and I never will. I have no clue. So if I'm looking at you, it's just by coincidence, okay? Because you could be the biggest giver, the littlest giver, and not give a dime. Studies show that 50% of people who go to church don't put one penny in the offering plate, and less than 10% of Christians actually do this thing called tithing, less than 10%. And some people feel it's as much lower than 10%. So, all right. So I have, I, have, I, have no, I have no clue. I have no clue who gives what, and I'll never have any clue who gives what. But this is all about, this is all about spiritual success and being spiritually thriving. And so when people say to me, hey, I just don't make enough money, the issue isn't about how much money we make. People say, oh, you know, if God would just bless me a million dollars, I'd give tithe all over the place. Actually, that doesn't happen. The more people, money people make, actually, the less they give. That's actually the reality of what happens. So you can pray for a million dollars all you want. God, give me a million dollars, and I'll give you a bunch of money. That, that, that doesn't work either. This issue is about an issue of trust, actually. And here's what it comes to. To me, the whole issue boils down to this. It boils down to this. Uh, if, if I don't tithe, what I'm saying is, God, I believe that I can do more with 100% of my money than you can do with 90% of my money. And a person who ties says, God, I believe you can do much more with 90% of my money, of your money. It's actually not our money. It's God's money. I believe you can do much more with 90% of your money in my life than I can do with 100%. Does that make sense? It's an issue. It's just an issue of trust. There's no, there's no guilt there. Again, there's absolutely no guilt. This is all about spiritual success and spiritual failing. And people who want to spiritually thrive, it, the scripture is really clear about this. Let me conclude by saying this. Leviticus, look at this. God's talking about bringing sacrifices, right? He says, a male without defect from the cattle. This is the kind of sacrifices God is asking us to bring. Bring something that is perfect without defect from the cattle, sheep, and goats in order that it may be accepted on your behalf. Do not bring anything with defect because it will not be accepted on your behalf. And what was their problem? They were bringing their last fruits, not their first fruits before God. They're bringing their worst, not their best before God. Malachi 1.8. When you offer blind animals, here's what was going on in the book of Malachi. When you offer blind animals, guys, the animals had a little walking cane, right? When you offer these for sacrifice, is not that wrong? When you sacrifice lame and diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor, or you can insert there your boss, right? It's just church. I don't care, God. It's just for you. Try that with your professor. Try that with your boss, right? Does that work? Does it work? How, do you run your business that way if you own a business, right? Try bringing that to your governor. Would he be pleased with that? Would he accept that, says the Lord Almighty? Spiritual champions, right? Spiritual champions keep an eye on these four gauges, and they do things in excellence because it's first fruit. They bring their best. They bring all of their energy. I'm going to have right here. Come on. Let's have Hosea come right up here, right up on. Is this Hosea? Okay. Hosea is a lieutenant colonel in the Army. He's an XO in the Army, works at the Pentagon. Do you work for a general? Is that right? Three-star civilian equipment, whatever the heck that means. Uh, Hosea, highly talented, highly skilled, and works more than 40 hours a week. I know this because we're in the same Bible study group together. Highly talented person. Uh, I always listen to what Hosea says because he always has deep things to say because he's not, he's not spiritually immature. He's very spiritually mature. And here's the thing I've known about Hosea probably for the past five years of my life. Whatever... Hosea does here. He always is, number one, he's always found a job at church, and he's, had, he's worn numerous hats. 
like we had a bathroom issue. We have an issue in the men. We don't have an issue in the women's bathroom. We have an issue in the men's bathroom. I don't want to get into it. Uh, but Hosea, like he, he gave us this huge long rundown on how to solve the problem. Very well thought that he brought his best to the table. And this is what I'm after, right? He always brings his best to the table. So he's heads up the parking. You see this? He heads up the parking. And he's like, do you think his, Hosea's attitude is, you know what? It's just church. You know, so people coming in parking, whatever, we don't care if you find a space. We don't care if we smile at you. No, what, the way Hosea approaches this, he's going to give his absolute first fruit best, and he's going to bring his excellence because he's a highly skilled, highly competent man who's been very successful in life. And so he comes to church, and I'm going to give God my best. And we have received rave reviews about our parking ministry. And I just, when, when I thought about this, when I thought about a highly successful man who brings his best, I thought of Hosea. I wanted to bring him up here on stage to acknowledge that, that this is awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Excellent job. Uh, I'm really done. I'm going to tell you one last story that happened in my house this past week. We're absolutely done. We had a mouse in our house. Not okay. It's not okay. We had a mouse in our house. Look, you know how... I don't even want a dog in our house. <laughs> I've thought about throwing a dog out many times. You know I don't want a mouse in the house. So here's, 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 here's what happens. Here was a, I, I brought all of my energy and effort to getting that mouse out. One of the things about having a job and doing an excellence, it focuses you, right? David's problem is he got really unfocused. Samson's problem is he got really unfocused. And so we had this mouse, and I said, man... I'd, I'd do anything to get this mouse out. I was, I was thinking, eating, drinking, sleeping that mouse constantly. But I'm going to find it. And so I went and I, well, actually, I, had, I, I went to the Home Depot and I got these little glue strips that they go, these glue strips, and I put them out and I put two of them out and they stole all of the peanut butter and all the cheese and weren't on, they weren't on the glue. So I went and I Googled, how do you get rid of a mouse? And I read about glue strips and somebody wrote, anybody who would use glue strips is going to be a serial killer eventually in life. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's going to be a serial killer one day because I'm just so unfair to the little mice that are in my house. But I could care less. So I go and I get the old-fashioned traps. I put four. I mean, I'm serious, man. I put them all over the place. I mean, the, <laughs> the kids are getting stomping, whatever, right? So they stole everything off of them without setting the trap off. Now I... I'm living at Home Depot now, right? You're talking about giving your best. I don't care what it costs, right? All of a sudden, money doesn't matter. Time doesn't matter. Energy, focus, I'm going to get these. And I bought, I bought everything. Like if a trap had a stick of dynamite on it, right? I'm buying that because a man is on a mission. And here's what I want to conclude. And I, I want you to know I got them out. They're gone. They're gone. It's a huge victory. I want to say something to the guys in conclusion. Guys, men. This is really important to learn from the life of Samson and David and Adam and all these other guys. It is so important for us as men to be in the word, to be in a group, to have, a, to have advisors around us. David had advisors. The moment he didn't have advisors, right down the toilet, right? For us to have a job and for us to do it with excellence. To never say, ah, it's just God. If we'll keep our eyes on that, we will be spiritual successes, not spiritual failures. We'll be spiritual champs, not spiritual chumps. That is the message of the Bible, those four gauges. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, so much for your word. It's awesome, so practical, so incredible. I thank you for it. I 
Thank you for these men who live these lives that we can now sit back and analyze. And then, God, you give us this insights, and it's just awesome. Lord, help us to keep our eyes on these four spiritual gauges, please. And, Lord, may this group of people, this congregation of people, be filled with spiritual successes that thrive and thrive well. In Jesus' name, amen.